Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillala wa man yudlil falahadiyala Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharikala وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار مرحبا بكم جميعا اهلا وسهلا we continue with the friday night classes here at masjid nurullah where we are covering the works of the noble scholar sheikh abdul razak ibn abdul muhsin al badr hafizhum allah ahadith al akhlaq the ahadith of good character in the last class we covered that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sent to mankind for the purpose of perfecting the moral character or the noble character as has come in the narration of Abi Huraira radiallahu an إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ لِأُتَمِّمَا صَالِحَ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَإِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ لِأُتَمِّمَا مَكَارِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ Indeed, I have only been sent for the purpose of completing and perfecting the good character. In the other wording, indeed, I have only been sent for the purpose of perfecting the noble character. So Allah Azza wa Jal as the Shaykh mentions, فَبَعَثَهُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ لِيَدْعُوَ النَّاسِ إِلَى مَكَارِمِ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَمَحَاسِنِ الْأَعْمَالِ وَنُذِرَهُمْ سَيِّئَ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَسَيِّئَ الْأَعْمَالِ وَقَدَّعَاهُمْ إِلَيْهَا قَوْلًا وَفِعْلًا The Shaykh mentioned that Allah sent the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in order to call the people to the noble character and to good actions and to warn them from evil character and evil actions and indeed the Prophet Sallallahu he called them to that by way of statement and action 
and this is a very important point, that the call of the Prophet Muhammad, the da'wah of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, was a da'wah that was done verbally, and it was a da'wah that was by way of his actions, his interacting with the people, and his example for the people. This was a form of da'wah. And the Sheikh, he, he mentioned that there are many narrations where the Prophet ﷺ speaks about good character and encourages good character. And there are many narrations that deal with the reward for good character. And then you have the Prophet ﷺ being described by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ and indeed you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you are upon exalted character. And Sa'ad ibn Hisham ibn Amir, rahimahullah, he said, Ataytu Aisha radiyallahu anha, faqult, ya umma al-mu'mineen, akhbirini bi-khuluqi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Faqalat kana khuluquhu al-Qur'an, ama taqra'u al-Qur'an, qawla Allahi azza wa jal, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ رواه أحمد سعر بن هشام بن عامر رحمه الله he said I went to Aisha رضي الله عنها may Allah be pleased with her and I said O mother of the believers inform me about the character of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم so she said in response his character was that of the Quran have you not read the Quran? Statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And indeed you are upon exalted character. And the meaning of the Prophet Sallallahu being upon exalted character is that he was an example, a real live example of how the Quran is to be implemented. He was a live example as it related to the commandments and the prohibitions in the Qur'an. If Allah commands with something, you're going to see the Prophet doing that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited a matter, you see the Prophet staying away from that matter. That the Qur'an became his character. Meaning whatever's in the Qur'an that's upon him to implement, he practiced it. There's nothing in the Qur'an that Allah commanded the Prophet ﷺ with except that he implemented it. And there's nothing in the Qur'an that Allah forbade him from except that he stayed away from it And even prior to him being a prophet and messenger, he had good character. The Prophet ﷺ, he was not an immoral man prior to him becoming a prophet and messenger. The Prophet ﷺ, he wasn't a cheat or a swindler prior to becoming the prophet. No, the prophet was known as Al Amin, the trustworthy one. This is what the people called him. The Prophet ﷺ was a man of generosity and kindness prior to becoming a prophet and messenger. And then when the revelation came, it perfected him and took him to the next level of good mannerisms. We covered that Anas bin Malik, radiallahu an, 
He said that he worked for the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years. And during the duration of this time, the Prophet ﷺ never said to him the slightest word of rebuke. The Prophet ﷺ never criticized him, never reprimanded him. He said that the Prophet never said to me, Regarding something I did, why you do that? And he said, he never said to me regarding something I didn't do, shouldn't you have done this? And then he went on to mention that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, He was the best of the people in character. And then he went on to describe the physical being of the Prophet ﷺ, how his palm was softer than silk and that his sweat its scent was better than the mist and that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam you know he was the best looking individual he was the best not only in his character but in his physical appearance Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He's the best of the creation of Allah And this is why he has been made as the example for us And Al-Bara He said that the Messenger Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Was the most handsome of the people Kana Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ahsan al-Nas wajhan he was the best of the people in his physical appearance. And he was the best of the people as it related to his character. And he wasn't real tall, nor was he short. He was in between. And there are many, many different narrations that describe for us the physical being of the Prophet and the Sheikh he hinted towards or he directed the people towards the book that has been compiled by Al Imam al Tirmidhi, Al Shama'al al Muhammadiyah. And the Sheikh himself explained the book. And if I'm not mistaken, the book is translated into English. The, the prophetic descriptions or the, the descriptions of the Prophet Muhammad by Imam al Tirmidhi. With the explanation of Sheikh Abdul Razak Very beautiful book Very informative book Teaches us about who our Prophet was Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Do they have it in English? Also the Sheikh mentions the narration on Aisha Radiallahu Anha where she mentioned that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He never hit a servant Nor a woman The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Was not one who was abusive Again he is the epitome of good character So without a doubt He's not going to be someone who was abusive, physically abusive. He wasn't verbally abusive, nor was he physically abusive to anyone. Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned he never hit anyone except if he was in battle. 
for the sake of Allah. That's what he fought. But other than that, you don't find that the Prophet ﷺ was one who was beating on the woman, his family and the likes. And that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he was faced with two decisions or two matters, and he had to pick between the two, he would choose the easiest of the two as long as it was not haram. As long as it was not haram, as long as it didn't entail any type of sin or disobedience to Allah. And this just shows the character of the Prophet ﷺ that he was a man who was easygoing. He was a man who was, you know, kind in his, in his nature, kind in his dealings with the people. And she went on to mention that the Prophet ﷺ, he never sought revenge for himself. If somebody did something to him personally, he never sought revenge for himself. But if the religion was violated, if the religion was violated, then this is something different. Then the Prophet ﷺ took action regarding this matter. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhi mentioned, explaining the statement of Allah, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقًا عَظِيمٌ And indeed you are upon exalted character, he said, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ دِينٍ عَظِيمٌ That indeed you are upon an exalted religion. Islam is the best way of life. Islam is the best religion on the face of the earth. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, Al-Islam ya'lu wa la yu'la. That Islam is superior and it's not inferior. Allah mentions, Huwa alladhi arusala rasoolahu bilhuda wa deen al-haqli yudhihirahu ala deen kulli wa law karihal mushrikun. That he is the one who sent his messenger with the guidance in the religion of truth in order that it may be superior to every other religion even though the polytheist hate it. So Allah sent the Messenger وسلم, with the guidance, and the guidance is the beneficial knowledge. And He sent the Messenger وسلم, with the religion of truth, and the religion of truth is the righteous actions. For what reason? So it can be superior over every other religion. And this is where our honor is in. Our honor is in following this superior way of life. If we don't follow the superior way of life, then we're going to be inferior. But when we adhere to the superior way of life, we will be superior. Look what happened with the Prophet Wasallam and the Muslims after being persecuted and oppressed in Mecca, right? And then they migrated, right? Following the commandment of Allah, went and established Islam in Medina, and, and they became the superior ones. And everyone else in that region became inferior. But it was through the deen. It was through the practice of the Quran, the practice of the Sunnah, what made them, what made them superior. Umar ibn Khattab, he had wrote to one of his generals, I believe it was Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, and he told him that upon you is to fear Allah. And this was right before he was about to go into battle. He said, upon you is to fear Allah. Because the fear of Allah, this in our faith, this is our our strength and our weapon. Why? Because our preparation, our physical preparation, is not similar to the physical preparation of the disbelievers. 
And we, he mentioned that we've ha we have only been able to overcome, overcome them due to our faith and due to our taqwa of Allah. This is where the, our victory comes. Not just brute strength. It's not the brute strength that gives the Muslims the victory. Strength, yes, is needed, but it's not that alone by itself. The iman and the taqwa is what caused Allah to aid the believers. So our superiority is in the practice of the deen. Imam bin Khattab, he had ran into one of his governors uh, from Mecca and he said, who did you leave in charge over the people of Mecca? And he mentioned that he left in charge a person who was a slave or a former slave. And he said, you put a slave over the people? And then he mentioned to Umar bin Khattab radiallahu that this individual is one who knows the book of Allah. And he's the most knowledgeable of the people of the rules and regulations of the, of the religion. And then Umar bin Khattab, he went on to mention what he heard from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَعُ أَقْوَامًا وَقَوْمًا بِهَادَ الْكِتَابِ وَيَدْعُ بِهِ آخَرِينَ That indeed Allah, He raises and elevates the people by way of this book. Here is a man, he's a slave or former slave, and his status was elevated over the rest of the people in Mecca by way of his knowledge and practice of the deen. Now mind you, in Mecca there's Quraysh and there's other type of people there. But it's the former slave or the slave who the governor trusted to put in charge over the people because of his knowledge and his practice of the deen. That elevated his status. And as Allah mentions, Indeed, the most honorable of you with Allah is the one who has the most taqwa. It's not based upon skin color. It's not based upon the geographic location you were born in or your tribe. But the honor or the being the most honorable with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is based upon the level of taqwa. And this is from the beauty and the magnificence of the deen. And because the Prophet is the greatest worshipper of Allah, then his character is the greatest. Because the Prophet was the most knowledgeable of Allah, his character is the best. His character is the greatest. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Qayyim al He said, وَسَمَّ الدِّينَ خُلُقًا لِأَنَّ الْخُلُقَ هَيْئَ مُرَكَّبًا مِنْ عُلُومٍ علوم صَادِقَةً وَإِرَادَاتِ زَاكِيَةً وَعَمَالِ ظَاهِرَةً وَبَاطِنَةً موافقة للعدل والحكمة والمصلحة والأقوال مطابقة للحق تصدر 
تلك الأقوال والأعمال أن تلك العلوم والإرادات فتكتسب النفس بها أخلاقا هي أسك الأخلاق وأشرف وأشرفها وأفضلها شيخ الإسلام ابن قيم الجوزية he states that he named the deen character because character meaning good character is a description that is made up of truthful knowledge pure intentions and inward and outward actions or outward and inward actions that are in agreement with justice wisdom and that which is a benefit statements that implement the truth and these statements and actions they come from this knowledge and they come from these pure intentions so therefore the soul by way of it earns the the character which is the best character and the most noble character and the most is is as it relates to virtue it's the highest as it relates to virtue of character so when abdullah bin abbas he interpreted the statement of allah that you are upon exalted character he said you are upon an exalted deen because the deen of islam barakallahu fikum when practice it makes the person be on that high level of character so understood when a person lives his life in accordance to islam it puts you like on the next level or the highest level of character and because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was the best one to practice islam to implement the quran to implement the sunnah his character is the best what is this religion built upon the deen of islam consists of truthful knowledge there's no there are no lies in islam no contradictions in islam the knowledge of islam is truthful as allah azza wa jalla mentions afala yatadabbarun alquran ولو كان من عندي غير الله وجدوا فيه اختلافا كثيرا do they not ponder over the quran the quran this is the source allah says do they not ponder over the quran had the quran been from other than allah they would find many contradictions in it are there any contradictions in the quran la wallah walillah alhamd there are no contradictions in the quran and if someone comes with something that appears to be a contradiction then 
that appearance of the matter being contradictory is, is due to the person's lack of knowledge. It's not the Quran, it's the person who, who lacks the knowledge to understand that there is no contradiction in how to bring harmony between the verses. And I always give this example as it relates to guidance. When one verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Prophet is a guide. Right? Indeed, you guide to a straight path. And then another verse Allah says, And you don't guide who you and you don't guide who you love, but Allah guides whomsoever He wills. So one verse Allah is saying the Prophet is a guide to the straight path. Another verse Allah is saying the Prophet is not a guide. So now one who doesn't know better is going to come and say, Oh look, there's a contradiction. One verse he's a guide, one verse he's not a guide. Which one is it? We say both of them are correct. Because there are different types of guidance. Where Allah says, where Allah states that the Prophet Wasallam is a guide, he's saying that the Prophet Wasallam has knowledge which leads to guidance. He died to Irshad. The Prophet, he's calling the people to guidance. He's directing the people towards guidance. So that's for that verse. As for the verse where Allah says you don't guide, that's in relation to who's going to accept the guidance, who's going to accept the knowledge. The Prophet doesn't control that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His job is to call the people and to teach the people, to educate the people. As for who's going to take these teachings, who's going to adhere to these teachings, that's with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no contradiction. And the rest of the verses and ahadith that may appear to be a contradiction, there's a way to bring harmony between them that will clarify that there is no contradiction. Wallahi alhamd. So here, Shaykh al-Islam al-Qayman he says that the deen or the character of Islam and the deen being the same in this situation, it is it's made up of truthful knowledge. It's made up of pure intentions. And outward and inward actions that are in agreement with justice, wisdom, and benefit. The goal of Islam, or the goals of Islam, are pure goals. Islam cultivates the people to have pure intentions. Islam cultivates, cultivates the people to, that the things they want in life to be pure, or the objectives of life to be pure. Islam doesn't cultivate the people upon evil, upon oppression, transgression. Islam doesn't cultivate the people upon that. And when you look at the practice of Islam from the actions, the outward actions and the inward actions, that which Allah has legislated is based upon justice, is based upon wisdom, is based upon what benefits the people. There's no rule or regulation 
in Islam except that is based upon justice, wisdom, and benefit. No rule or regulation in Islam is oppressive. Are there Muslims who are oppressive? Yes, that's possible. And that happens when they're not practicing. Anytime we sin, we oppress ourselves. Anytime. And then sometimes because of our lack of practice, we fall into oppressing other people. Is that Islam? No. Does Allah Azawajal allow for a Muslim to be oppressive to another Muslim or to a non-Muslim? No, this is not allowed in the deen. So the deen itself, what Allah has legislated, the rules and regulations of this deen, the practices of this deen, are based upon justice, wisdom, and benefit. Everything is put in its proper place. As an example, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, by way of revelation, forbade men from imitating women and women from imitating men. It's prohibited in Islam. This is a rule that's in its proper place. Because when men imitate women and women imitate men, this causes corruption in the society. You look at those who are involved in homosexuality. Corruption has come as a result of this. Breaking up of families, the corruption of people's fitra, and other than that, from the corruptions that are connected with that community. A woman acting and behaving like a man, this is not her nature. This is not her natural disposition. Allah didn't create her that way. So now she's going outside of her norm. Behaving like a man. Acting like a man. Being loved by another woman as if she's a man. This is not the natural way of life. And now look how this agenda is being pushed in, 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 in the schools. In the public school system, they're pushing this agenda to, to implant into the minds and the hearts of the children, and they are the future, that there's nothing wrong with this behavior. This is a normal way of life. It's okay for a child to have two daddies living in the same house with one another and two mommies living in the same. They're t destroying the family structure. 
This is a war from Iblis and his army against the natural way of life. So you find that Islam prohibits these type of things. Anything that lends and leads to the corruption of society, Islam prohibits these things. And the people, they say, well, it's my right to love who I want to love. Allah, no, Allah created you. It's His right over you that you worship Him the way He commands you to worship Him. And how you love, there's legislation for that. Who you love, there's legislation for that. Can't just live how you want to live, do whatever you want to do, because... Mankind, mankind. the origin of mankind is ignorance and oppression. It's the origin of mankind. We do things we think is best for us, but in reality we're causing corruption. In reality we're oppressing others. So Allah, Azzawajal, put rules and regulations in place to keep mankind in check. Not to overburden mankind. To put unnecessary things upon mankind and to take away the fun of mankind, like you find some of the uh, the modernists they say about the, the practices and the rules and regulations of Islam. These things are in place to ensure to ensure benefit, rectification, to ensure prosperity in the society. The Shaykh mentions فَهَادِهِ كَانَتْ أَخْلَاقَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْمُقْتَبَسَ مِنْ مِشْكَاتِ الْقُرْآنِ فَكَانَ كَلَامُهُ مُطَابِقًا لِلْقُرْآنِ تَفْصِيلًا لَهُ تَبْيِينًا وَعُلُومُهُ عُلُومُ الْقُرْآنِ وَإِرَارَتُهُ وَعَمَالُهُ مَا أَوْجَبَهُ وَنَدَّبَ إِلَيْهِ الْقُرْآنِ وَإِعْرَادُهُ وَتَرْكُهُ لِمَا مَنَعَ مِنْهُ الْقُرْآنِ وَرَغْبَتُهُ فِيمَا رَغِبَ فِيهِ وَزُهُدُهُ فِيمَا زَهَدَ فِيهِ وَقَرَاهَتُهُ لِمَا كَرِهَ وَكَرَّهَ وَكَرَّهَهُ وَمَحَبَّتُهُ لِمَا أَحَبَّهُ وَسَعْيُهُ فِي تَنْفِيذِ أَوَامِلِهِ وَتَبْلِيغِهِ وَالْجِهَادِ فِي إِقَامَتِهِ فَتَرْجَمَتْ أُمُّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِكَمَالِ مَعْرِفَتِهَا بِالْقُرْآنِ وَبِالْرَسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وحسن تعبيرها عن هذا كل بقولها كان خلقه القرآن so Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Qayyim al he went on to mention, speaking about the character of the Prophet wasallam, that the character of the Messenger wasallam, it comes from the Qur'an. It comes from the Qur'an. And his speech, and the speech of the Prophet wasallam, is an implementation of the Qur'an. 
It is an explanation of the Qur'an. The Prophet's speech explains the Qur'an. The Prophet's speech clarifies the Qur'an. The knowledge of the Prophet is the knowledge of the Qur'an. The intent of the Prophet, his actions, is that which the Qur'an obligated and that which the Qur'an uh, encouraged. The things the Prophet ﷺ abandoned and turned away from is that which the Qur'an prohibited. And the, that which the Prophet desired is that which the Qur'an made desirable. That which the Prophet ﷺ uh, abstained from as it relates to abstinence is that which the Qur'an encouraged that he have abstinence in. The things that the Prophet Sallallahu dislike is that which the Qur'an made detestable. The things that the Prophet Sallallahu loved is that which the Qur'an made lovable. The striving of the Prophet Sallallahu was in implementing the commandments of the Qur'an and conveying the Qur'an. And striving to establish the Qur'an. So based upon all of this, the mother of the believers, Aisha, based upon her complete knowledge of the Qur'an and her knowledge of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and her, the good way she explained or described his character in, in its entirety, she said his character was that of the Qur'an. Like it means all of this. That is a, is, a, is a short statement, is a, is a concise statement. His character was that of the Qur'an. Not too many words, but the meaning is vast. His character was that of the Qur'an. So think about everything that's in the Qur'an. All the rules, all the regulations, all the prohibitions, all of the benefit, the beneficial knowledge in the Qur'an. Think about all of that. Okay, that's the Prophet Sallallahu عن ابي امامه رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم انا زعيم ببيت في ربض الجنه لمن ترك المراء وان كان محقا وببيت في وسط الجنه لمن ترك الكذب وان كان مازحا وببيت في اعلى الجنه لمن حسن خلقه رواه ابو داود Abu Umam radiallahu anhi mentioned that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I am a guarantor of a house in the lowest part of the paradise for the one who abandons argumentation, even if he is correct. And I am a guarantor of a house in the middle of the paradise for the one who leaves off lying even if he's joking around. And I am a guarantor of a house in the highest part of paradise for the one who makes his character good. The Sheikh says, Fihi bayan fadirati husn al-khuluq 
وأنه يوصل صاحبه إلى الدرجات العالية في الجنة فإن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكر ثلاثة أصناف من الناس فمنهم من يكون في ربد في, ربد في الجنة وهو أدناها ومنهم من يكون في وسطها ومنهم من يكون في أعلاها فالجنة درجات قال الله تعالى ولكل درجات مما عملوا وقد بين النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في هذا الحديث أن من يحسن خلقه يكون له بيت في أعلى الجنة وقوله أنا زعيم أي ضامن وكفيل Sheikh Abdul Razaki mentions in this hadith there is the clarity of the virtue of having good character the fadila of husn khuluq and that husn khuluq yusilu sahibahu ila darajat al-aliyah and that having good character it takes the person to the highest levels in paradise Good character. Of course, it's an indication of the importance of good character because it takes you to the highest part of paradise. So that shows that having good character is from the most important aspects of the deen, being that the reward for it is the highest part in paradise. So the Shaykh mentions that the Prophet wasallam. He mentioned three categories of people in this narration. Those who will be in the, the one who will be in the lowest part of paradise, the one who will be in the middle part of paradise, and the one who will be in the highest part of paradise. The Sheikh says, the paradise is different levels. As Allah mentions, and for every individual, there are the levels in paradise for that which they have done. So the Prophet ﷺ clarified in this hadith that whoever makes his character good, then for him is a house, a home in the highest part of paradise. And the statement, Anazaim, yani the Prophet is a guarantor, he's guaranteeing us this matter. This is a promise. And of course, again, he doesn't speak from his desires. So this is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to him. Let's look at the first matter. The one who leaves off argumentation even though he's right. The scholars, they say, this is in like worldly affairs. This is in worldly affairs. You may be disputing over something in a worldly affair. The truth is with you. You don't argue. Just, okay, but no problem. You let it go. But the haq is with you in this type of situation. But in those situations where it comes where it comes down to making the truth manifest, this doesn't apply to that. Because if you remain silent or you don't speak the truth, then falsehood is going to be manifest. And that's not an intent from or a goal from the goals of the sharia. From the maqasid of the sharia is that the haq is zahir, 
the truth is apparent, not hidden and unknown to the people. So if there's a situation where if you're going to be quiet, it's going to lead to the truth being hidden and falsehood to be apparent and widespread, you can't be silent. You have to speak. You can't use this narration or the prophet said, there's a house in paradise for the one who leaves off argumentation. Not even though he's the truth is with him. No, not in this case. Personal matters, yes, but not in it when it comes to the haq being established. Or even the rights of the people. You know, someone is being oppressed and, and the person is defending and, and, and debating and arguing to establish that this person's haq is, is, is being taken from him. And the other person is arguing, saying, no, the person is not entitled. No, this is a matter of deen to help a Muslim to get his right. You don't say, oh, the Prophet said that there's a house in paradise, you know, for the one who leaves the argumentation, and now the person is left to be oppressed. So don't misunderstand this narration, that this is in all situations. This is not in all situations. Definitely not applicable to those situations where the truth is going to be hidden, innovation is going to be widespread. Right? Like if a person of innovation comes in here and tries to spread some deviance, and there's someone amongst us who have the knowledge to refute the person. We have to refute the person. We don't say, no, I'm going to be quiet even though the truth is with me because I want that house in paradise. And then now the innovation spreads in the masjid. Can't use the, that's this narration for that. But you may be arguing with your wife. And she has her view and you have your view. And you're right. But you know what? You let her have it. And there's no sin in, in, involved and it's not leading to any oppression. You say, Barakallah, you're right, dear. May Allah bless you. But the truth is with you. Inshallah, a house and paradise for you. Sisters gonna win all the arguments now, right? <laughs> May Allah preserve the, the Muslim families. I mean, upon khayr. Wassalamu wa afiyah. But the Shahid, the scholars, they say this is not to be taken unrestrictedly. There's some, some matters you have to continue to debate and make and argue and make sure the truth is established or the rights are established. And that falsehood is eradicated. Then you have the house in the middle of paradise for the one who leaves off lying even if he's joking. And this is a major sin. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned, وَيْلٌ لِمَنْ يَكْذِبْ لِيُضْحِكَ النَّاسِ وَيْلٌ لَهُ وَيْلٌ لَهُ وَيْلٌ لَهُ وَيْلٌ لَهُ وَيْلٌ لَهُ Woe to the one who lies in order to make people laugh. Woe to this person, woe to this person, then woe to him. And some scholars, they say, Wail, yani, wad finnar, is a, is a valley. It's in the Sinai fire. The word wail. But the scholars, they say, this is an indication that it's a major sin. But you have individuals from amongst the Muslims 
who have taken professions as being comedians. And, and a lot of times, a comedian, he lies or he stretches the truth. Even those comedians who speak about real life situations, they stretch the truth in order for the incident to be funny. This is still a lie. The prophet used to joke around, but whenever the prophet joked, he told the truth. But as for those Muslims who are comedians and they're lying and they're jokes and stretching the truth, this is haram. And this is a major sin in Islam. The prophet warns against this type of behavior. Woe to the one who lies in order to make people laugh. So we should never tell lies in order to make people laugh. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Say what happened. Say, the truth. Alhamdulillah, the truth is funny at times. And as the Prophet wasallam, whenever he joked, he joked truthfully. The Prophet wasallam didn't tell lies in order to make the Sahaba laugh. So the one who leaves off lying, even if he's joking around, the Prophet ﷺ has promised a house in paradise for this individual, in the middle of paradise. And now you, you have in, in, in this era, especially like on social media, like what's become famous pranking. This falls under the category of lying in order to make people laugh. Pranking is haram in Islam. Also, you have some pranks that involve scaring a Muslim. And the Prophet Sallallahu said it's not permissible to scare a Muslim. Can't do this. But some people have done, they do pranks on, on other Muslims that make them frightened. Maybe they think something has happened or someone got hurt or injured or, or they, they, they do something to make a person think that he or she is in danger. This, this is not allowed in the deen, ikhwan wa akhawat. This is not allowed in the deen. You cannot frighten one another. Joking, jokingly. So imagine being truthful. I, 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 I was having a conversation with someone, you know, uh, one of the students, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them tawfiq and rectify the hardships and give them ease in their affairs. That that hadith where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned um, the prohibition of frightening the Muslim, and when you look at the narration, what's connected to it, it was people playing around. So imagine when a person is not playing around and someone is like serious. You know what will come under that? Domestic violence. Where a man is being, he's scaring his wife, like he's frightening her. That's hard on, not even to mention the beating on her, but the fact of fr frightening her. You understand? With no justification in, 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 in threatening me, he's going to physically harm her, and I'm going to choke you out. I'm going to. That's, that's, that's not allowed in Islam. You can't even do that. You can't even frighten a Muslim jokingly. So, how much more so when you're serious? We have to be, you know, subhanAllah, we have to learn these mannerisms in the deen. Because when we're ignorant of these affairs, we do ignorant things. 
to ourselves and to one another. Knowledge is powerful. Knowledge is, is a protection for you. As Ali ibn Abi Talib mentioned that knowledge is better than wealth. Because you have to protect the wealth whereas the knowledge protects you. Beautiful analogy. Beautiful benefit. Knowledge is better than wealth. Knowledge is better than money. You, you, you're a millionaire, you got to protect the money. You got to put the money here, put the money there. Safes, banks. All of these things you to do to protect the money. But the knowledge protects you. Protects you from oppressing yourself. Knowledge protects you from oppressing others. Knowledge protects you from being upon the wrong path. Knowledge. It's the knowledge that protects the person. And then lastly, which is the point of the Sheikh mentioning the narration, a house in the highest part of the paradise for the one who makes his character to be good. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya rahimahullah ta'ala he mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he made the highest house as a reward for the highest station from the three matters. And it is good character. In the middle of them, the middle house for the middle of them, which is leaving off lying. And the, the house in the lowest part for the least of them. And it is leaving off argumentation, even though the truth is with him. And the Shaykh says, وَلَا رَيْبْ أَنَّ حُسْنَ الْخُلُقُ مُشْتَمَلْ عَلَىٰ هَذَا كُلِّهِ And there's no doubt that good character entails all of them. If you have good character, you're going to leave off the argumentation. That's from good character. Leaving off argumentation, even though the truth is with you. You see that maybe it's not going to go nowhere. Or if you continue to argue, even though you're, it's going to lead to something of a greater harm. And it's something that you can, you know, you can forfeit your right of being acknowledged as being correct. You can forfeit it for the greater good. That's from good character. Or the one who leaves off lying even though he's joking around. That's from good character. And then good character itself. And this is this hadith based upon the words of Shaykh al-Islam and Qayyim al-Jawziyah is a proof for the principle al-jazam and jins al-amal. That the reward that the person receives is based upon the type of action that he performs. Al-Jazam and Jinsalamin. So, according to your action, according to your deed, the reward is going to be based upon that. An example, and this is for good and evil. Good and evil. Here is the example of good. An example of evil, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned when he had a, he had a dream, 
And he was taken by these people. They were in like a um like this vessel that there was fire under it. And there were naked men and women inside of this vessel. And the fire under it is boiling the water. And the people inside of this boiling hot water. And as it's boiling, the people come all the way up to the top of the vessel. And then it goes back down. And then the boys again, they go up to the top. Then it goes back down. When the Prophet Sallallahu explained that these people are the fornicators and the adulterers, the Zuna. Okay, what's the connection between their act of fornication and adultery and the punishment? Based upon the principle al jazam and jins al-amr, the reward or the punishment is based upon the type of actions, the act that you do. Ahsant. Where's the enjoyment for them? No, no, no. But the punishment. Where's the connection to the punishment? Are you saying where's the enjoyment in the punishment? Yeah. The fact that the hope of them going getting, getting out is short-lived. That's the punishment. There you go. As they're boiling, then they think they're about to get out, it goes back down. So it's like a temporary delight. But it's really a punishment for them. Because as soon as they're going to get out, it goes back down. That's a punishment. It's like a tease. Like when they would commit a zina, they commit a zina for that what? Temporary delight. So Allah punishes them with a temporary delight. Allah is just. Allah is just. Tayyip. Alladha min al zina qasira. وإنما يعني هم يرتفعون يظنون أنهم سيخرجون ثم ينزلون أيوه يرجعون هذا الوقت يعني لرجائهم للخروج من هذا العذاب قصير أيوه قصير جدا مثل اللذ من الزنا قصيرة هذا هو يعني الجزاء من جنس العمل. So for good and both bad, the reward is based upon the act. Here, Sheikh al-Islam ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, he said that the highest house in paradise is based upon, is given for the highest and the best of these acts out of the three. Good character is the best of all three. 
as good character entails the other two. The good character entails leaving off lying, even if you're joking, good character entails leaving off argumentation even when you are right. MashaAllah. The Shaykh brings the narration Anabidhar radiallahu an Qala qala li Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ittaqillah haythu makunta Wa atbi'i sayyata al-hasana tamhuha Wa khaliq al-nas bi khuluqin hasan Rawahu al-tibmidi الشيخ سيتكون هذا الحديث من جمل ثلاث وهي وهي من جوامع كلم نبينا عليه الصلاة والسلام وقد جمع فيها أصول المعاملة المعاملة مع الله والمعاملة مع النفس والمعاملة مع الخلق. This narration consists of three sentences. And this narration is from the concise speech of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he has gathered in this speech the fundamentals of mu'amala, of dealings. The dealings with Allah, the dealings with oneself, and the dealings with the creation. This narration, Barakallah Fikum, it is mentioned that this was the advice that the Prophet وسلم, he gave to Mu'adh ibn Jabal when he was sending him to Yemen to call the people to Islam. And what a beautiful advice. Short but powerful. Great impact when implemented. The Prophet, as the Shaykh mentioned, Hafidullah was given Jawam al Kalam. And no other Prophet was given this before Prophet Muhammad. Jawam al Kalam is the ability to speak with few words, but the few words have vast meaning. No other prophet was given. This is something that Allah specifically gave to Prophet Muhammad So you have statements like, Ad-Deenu Nasihah, the religion is Nasihah, or Al-Hajj Arafah, Hajj is Arafah, Innam Al-A'mal bin Actions are based upon the... This is from like Jawama al-Kalam. Few words, but vast meaning. So here are three sentences. Fear Allah wherever you are. Follow up the bad deed with the good one, they will wipe it out. Treat the people with good behavior. Or behave with the people with good behavior. So these three matters, the Shaykh said, they are the usul of mu'amala. And the mu'amala is the dealings, how you deal with another, 
So the different categories of mu'amala are three. Your mu'amala ma Allah, your mu'amala with yourself, and your mu'amala with the creation. This hadith covers all three. And this here, barakallahu feekum, is one of those narrations that really shows the beauty of Islam. As all narrations do. But there are some narrations that show the beauty of Islam more than other narrations. But this narration shows the beauty of Islam, the perfection of Islam, the completeness of Islam. That all aspects of life are covered in this deen. Your relationship with Allah is important, the most important relationship that you have. And then you have a relationship with your own self. And then there's your relationship with the creation. The person has to be mindful to give each one his right, its right. You have to give Allah his right, you have to give yourself your right, and you have to give the creation their right. Go back to the narration of Salman al-Farisi, radiallahu an, and I believe it was Abu Darda. Abu Darda, radiallahu an, he used to fast during the day and used to pray during the night. So the Prophet was telling one of the things he did when he got to Medina, and he did this in Mecca also, that he 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 paired up companions. He paired up companions. And in and in Medina he paired up like the Muhajirin and the Ansar. But he had paired up Abu Darda and Salman al-Farisi. He paired them up. And prior to the rules and regulations of inheritance, if you died, the one who the Prophet paired you up with would inherit from you. This, was, this is before the rules and regulations of inheritance came. But that's how it would be. Your brother who the Prophet paired you up with, he, that person would inherit from you. Right, so it, there, there was a benefit in, in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi pairing the people up like this. And in the event, Salman went to Abu Darda's home, and this was before the uh, the revelation of the hijab. He seen Umm Darda al Kubra. Why the al Kubra? There are two Abu Darda, one Salaam and one Huh? Say that again? There are two Abu Darda. No, no, no. Umm Darda. Umm Darda. Umm Al-Kubra. One was a slave, one was a Sahar. And one was from the Tabi'in. No, no, no. It was, I mean, not like, who? Al-Kubra, Umm Abu Darda was married to two Umm Dardas. One of them is a Sahabia. The second one, she's not a Sahabia. She's from the Tabia. She's a Tabia from the Tabi'in. 
Umudarda, she was dressed in like, we would say like shabby clothing. Wasn't well dressed. And Salman said, what's, what's, like, what's your affair? Why are you looking like this? And she said to him, your brother has no desire for me. He has no desire? No desire for me. He fasts during the day and prays during the night. If he's fasting all day and praying all night, what's the sense of her beautifying herself? And he's, he's indulged in ibadah. Right? That's what meant when she said, your brother has no desire for me. Meaning he's busy with ibadah. So Salman waited, and here comes Abu Darda. So oh, I'm here, so let, me, let me get you some food. So he brought the food for Salman. Salman said, eat. He said, I'm fasting. He said, no, eat. He said, I'm fine. He said, well, I'm not going to eat until you eat. Abu Darda broke his fast, he ate with Salman. So some man spent the night at his home that night. And they lay down and Abu Darda went to get up to pray. Salman pulled him rest. So he rested a little bit and part of the night went. Abu Darda got up to pray. Salman lay back down, get some rest. And then towards the end of the night, Salman said, okay, now let's get up and pray. So they prayed. And then Salman said to him, indeed, your Lord has a right over you. Your family has a right over you and your body has a right over you. So Abu Darda, he went to the Prophet wasallam and mentioned the incident. And the Prophet wasallam confirmed what Salman said. He said, Salman spoke the truth. Allah has a right over us. And the right of Allah is that He is to be worshipped alone and we don't associate any part of Him. The right of Allah is that we obey Him. The right of Allah upon us is that we practice Islam. That's Allah's haqq alayna. Then you have your family, the people, and the rights differ according to the individual. The rights of the mother is different from the rights of the father. The rights of the parents is different from the rights of the spouse. The rights of the wife is different from the, wife, the rights of the children. It, it, it depends. Then you have the rights of your neighbor. But then you have the neighbor who's close to the neighbor who's far. Then you have the neighbor who's your family member. The neighbor who's not your... So according to the people and the level of their status, this is will determine how much rights they have. But then you have the rights that you have over yourself. And from those rights is that you don't harm yourself. Don't kill yourselves. Don't let your hands be the cause of your own destruction. The Prophet said, There is to be no harm. No reciprocating on harm. You don't harm yourself, you don't do nothing that's going to lead to your own harm. You don't do nothing directly or anything that could cause harm. You don't harm yourself, you don't cause harm to others. You have, you have rights over yourself. You have rights. And many times, 
because of our ignorance, we fall short when it comes to the rights of Allah, the rights of our families, and then the rights of our own selves. But the knowledge and the implementation of the knowledge puts us in a position to give everyone their rights. Everyone. But the greatest of the right, the right, the rights, the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The older one or the bigger one. You have Umm Darda al Kubra and Umm Darda al Sukra. Umm Darda al Kubra, she's the Sahabia. That's his first, the first Umm Darda. And then he married another Umm Darda after uh, her. And she was known to be a righteous woman. She's the one who said to uh, Abu Darda, I want to be your wife in paradise. And he said, if you want to be my wife in paradise, then you can't marry nobody after I die. Because the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned that the woman would be with her last husband in paradise. So when Abu Darda, he died, and Umm Darda Sukhara, she was beautiful. And she was righteous. Like people know, she, her righteousness was known amongst the people that, to the point people would come to her to learn from her mannerisms and stuff like that. The woman. So she's known to be a, a, a righteous woman and the best of the women. And she was in Sham. And Muawiyah proposed to her. And, uh, and I believe at this time Muawiyah was the Khalifa He proposed to marry her And she said La wallah like, By Allah I will not marry anyone And replace that person And replace Abu Darda with that person Like I'm going to remain patient Right And I'm going to die And Abu Darda was my last husband So she didn't remarry Again Yes. Uh, so, regarding what you are uh, saying uh, concerning the relationship that we have with Allah and Rasulullah, and speaking of what you have, the relationship with the Messenger of Allah goes into the category of our, our the relationship with the creation. And also, what will be, and the way we 
make our prayers with Allah and the Rasulullah. So how is this relationship? The relationship between the servant and his Lord is the relationship of the servant worshipping his Lord. That's, that's the relationship. That we worship Allah. The Prophet Sallallahu mentioned to Mu'ad, Ya Mu'ad, Qala Mu'ad, Labayka Ya Rasulullah wa Sa'adayk, Qala Atadri ma haqqullah ala al-ibad, wa ma haqqul ibad ala Allah, Qala Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Qala haqqullah ala al-ibad, an ya'buduhu wa la yushriku bihi shay'a, wa haqqul ibad ala Allah, an la yu'adhib man lam yushrik bihi shay'a. The Prophet ﷺ said, O Mu'ad, do you know the right of Allah upon the servants and the right of the servants upon Allah? Mu'ad said, Allah and His Messenger know best for them. The Prophet ﷺ, first he said, I'm here, I am, O Rasulullah, at your service. Then he said, do you ask him the question. He said, Allah and His Messenger know best. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the right of Allah upon the servants is that they worship Him and don't associate no partners with Him. And the rights of the servant upon Allah is that Allah doesn't punish the one who doesn't associate any partners with them. After the Azan. So, the Prophet ﷺ clarified that the right of Allah upon his servants is that the servants worship him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and don't associate any partners with him. Worship of Allah is ibadah, obedience, adherence to, to Islam, Doing what Allah has commanded you to do, staying away from the prohibitions, this is ibadah. For the sake of Allah, not for the sake of the dunya, or to show off, or directing the ibadah to anyone other than Allah, along with Allah. This is Allah's right, because Allah is the one who created us, so He has this right over us, that we worship Him alone. <clears throat> As for the right of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, His right is the right to be obeyed. As Allah mentions, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولُ And we have not sent a messenger except to be obeyed. So the right of Allah is ibadah, the right of the Prophet ﷺ is obedience. 
We don't worship the Prophet, but we obey him. We don't worship the Prophet, but we follow his example. We don't worship the Prophet, but we honor him. The Prophet وسلم, is to be obeyed, he's to be followed, he's to be honored. During his lifetime and after his death. These are the rights. It's clear? Yes, it's clear. But I would request to hear also more about how we claim, how we wanna, how, how much we claim. A claim is not important. What's important are your actions. People can make claims all day. They have, they have these lines of poetry. Everybody claims to have this connection with Layla, but Layla doesn't acknowledge that for any one of them. Anybody can make a claim to do something or to be something. What's important is what are you living in accordance to? What's your practice? Not how many claims would you or the, the, the things you claim to be. Forget the claims. Put the practice in. Uh, as an example, let's say, for instance, that we do claim to receive the Shafa'a of Rasulullah. Say that again? The intercession of Rasulullah. We claim that? No, no. We, it's something that we want to have. We seek We seek this, we, yes. We, we seek it. So, it's not that we claim it, but we want to have it. And okay, you have to work for it. The Prophet mentioned his intercession being for his ummah. Okay, you have to be from his ummah. It'll be a person of tawheed. Whatever reward is mentioned for a specific act, and you want that reward, you got to do that act. Simple matter. Don't complicate it. Any reward that you see in the Quran, and you want that reward, Okay, you got to practice the act that's connected to the reward, or that the reward is connected to. Just like, for instance, we covered the narration, a house in paradise for the one who leaves off argumentation, uh, a house in the lowest part of paradise for the one who leaves off argumentation and he's correct, a house in the middle of paradise for the one who leaves off lying even if he's joking, a house in the highest part of paradise for the one who has good character. Okay, you want that house in the highest part of character, uh, the highest part of power. Okay, have good character. I don't know what good character is. Okay, read the Quran, read the, the Prophet's life, read the narrations, learn the good character from the Prophet. That's how you do it. That's how you you seek after what you want from the good. You know what it is, okay, you know what needs to be done to get it, and then you implement it. Inshallah, Allah will give you that, because the promise of Allah is true. Whatever Allah has promised in the Quran and promised upon the tongue of his Prophet, it's a true promise. It's a true promise, and we have to believe that it's true. Now, so going back to Abu Darda he learned a good lesson from Salman al-Farisi and which was confirmed by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
that the rights are three. The right of Allah, the right of creation, and then the right that you have over yourself. And everyone is to be given their rights. For each category, the rights are to be given to each category correctly and respectively. And then the greatest of the rights, the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The right of Allah is the greatest of the rights. SubhanAllah bihamdi. And sometimes a person is deficient when it comes to like the rights of the creation. One of the scholars he mentioned, if you see a person who is disrespectful to his parents, don't befriend that person. Don't take that person as a friend. Because this individual is disrespecting and violating those who have greater rights over him than you do. So what do you think he's going to do to you? A great lesson right there. A sister wants to marry a brother. See how he treats his mother. A brother wants to marry a sister. See how she treats her father. See how she treats her brothers. You have to look at how people interact. And you can basically have a good idea of how that person will be with you. And when it comes to your rights. So don't put yourself in a situation where dealing with bad people and the signs are there. You know, subhanAllah from the hadith um, where the Prophet was asked by Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Ayyul Amali Habu in Allah, which actions are most beloved to Allah? Kala as salatu ala waqtiha. Kala thumai, kala birru walidain. Kala thumai, kala al jihad fi sabidillah. Could you elaborate on the rights of yourself? One moment. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud asked the Prophet وسلم, what actions are most beloved to Allah? The Prophet وسلم, said prayer at the proper time. He said, okay, then what after that? So treating the parents with goodness. He said, okay, then what after that? He said, striving for the sake of Allah. So you have prayer at the proper time, treating your parents with goodness, striving for the sake of Allah. Some of the ulama, they say if a person doesn't pray on time, he won't do anything else on time. <laughs> because Allah, the prayer at the proper time, that's Allah's right. Right, so if you don't give Allah his right, you, you're not going to give nothing else its right. That's the, the point. And then for the parents, treating the parents good, they say if you don't treat your parents good, you're not going to treat nobody else good. You don't, you don't respect your parents, you don't treat your parents with goodness, you're not going to treat no one else good. Because these are your parents. Like, from amongst the people, those who have the greatest right upon you are your parents. Right?
And then if you don't strive for the sake of Allah, you won't strive for nothing else. Like you, you'll be lazy. Like the things the scholars extract from the narrations to tell you about human behavior and how they will be when dealing with matters of life is amazing. As for the right that the person has over himself, the sheikh, he covers this. Uh, but I'll mention something uh, briefly. Your rights over yourself is that you do good to yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't destroy yourself. This is from the religious aspect, your soul, and your physical body. Both fall under this. Your mental state. Like you don't put, you don't, like smoking cigarettes, you're violating yourself because you're harming yourself. Drinking khamr, using intoxicants, you're harming yourself. You're harming your religion. Because with the committing of these sins, your iman goes down. You're harming yourself. Not repenting from sins. You're oppressing yourself. As Allah says, وَمَنْ لَمْ And whoever doesn't repent, then those are the, the wrongdoers, the, the oppressors. Anytime a person commits a sin, he has wronged himself. Anytime a person disobeys Allah, he has wronged himself. Because you're putting yourself in a position to be punished. So we talk about the rights that you have over yourself is to do good to yourself. Treat yourself with goodness. And treating yourself good is not only going to go get a nice haircut and going to buy yourself some, a nice pair of shoes. You know, I'm going to go treat myself. You know, the sisters they go to a day of pampering. You know, you know how the, our sisters do, you know. Man, you know, oh man, I, I need to treat myself good. And they go take some money, or the husband give them some money to go to, you know, uh, maybe a sister, if she does private, you know, caretaking for the sisters, and she go gets a, you know, whatever they do in, in, in the privacy of those settings, you know, to pamper themselves, which, which is allowed, you know, as long as no haram is taking place. That's, she's treating herself good. Or a man, he goes to get, he's treating himself good. That's a part of treating yourself good, but that's not the most important aspect of treating yourself good. Treating yourself good is by protecting your faith. That's how you treat yourself good. Protecting your soul, protecting your heart. You know, not exposing yourself to sin and, and, and matters that can lead you astray. Like, don't harm yourself like that. A person putting himself in situations where he, it can lead to his destruction, obeying the shaitan. All, all of this is, you, you, you're violating yourself. All of this is violation of the self. But now when you commit a sin where you're violating someone else, there's two oppressions here now. You oppress yourself one and then you oppress the person. But those sins that are just between you and Allah, then you have oppressed yourself. It's understood? No. So the point is, stay away from the, the disobedience. 
Do good to yourself. Treat yourself good by just how you treat yourself good by buying yourself something nice that you like. You buy yourself a nice watch. You buy yourself a nice pair of shoes. You buy yourself a nice garment to wear. You go, you know, get a nice haircut, and you, you, you know, you're looking presentable. You're treating yourself good. You know, you go and reward yourself for for doing something in, in the worldly affairs. Hey, treat your treat your heart good by reading Quran. Do good to your heart. Put some Quran in there. Do good to your soul. Read some hadith about how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wasn't strive to implement those things. Do good to your soul by implementing the deen. That's your right that you have over yourself. Like your wife has a right over you to treat her good, right? Okay, you have a right over yourself to treat yourself good. And this is not restricted to the physical treating of yourself good. But spiritually, which is the most important aspect, you have to treat yourself good spiritually. Physically and spiritually. So, in brief, that's the meaning of treat yourself well, or the rights that you have over yourself is that you treat yourself well. No. Anything else? Inshallah ta'ala, we'll stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect is for myself. Wa subhanaka alhamdulillah, ashadu an la ilaha illa ant, astaghfirukum wa tabirukum.